And also because I just had a feeling that this sort of new way of training that, you know, is what, how I thought of it made more sense. And it was the way I wanted to go. But so many people who seem to have more experience than, than I did were telling me I was doing it all wrong. I know firsthand that life with a challenging, reactive, and aggressive dog isn't always all unicorns and rainbows, and I also know it helps to hear other people's stories. So on this podcast, we share the force-free training stories of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. I'm Liana Mazelina, and I'm guest hosting this episode so we can learn a bit more about Kaisa, the voice behind the podcast and her dog, Rusty. Kaisa, welcome to your own podcast. Wow, I'm so excited. <laughs> now I feel what everybody else is feeling and the nervousness and everything. <laughs> well, no reason to be nervous. I'm really excited to hear about your journey and Rusty's journey. I know we've heard pieces of it here and there in the other episodes, but now, now you and Rusty get to take center stage. Um, first things first, I just want to hear about that handsome pup that's all over the, the podcast graphics. Tell us about how he came into your life, who he is, why you love him, all of that good stuff. Ooh, okay. So in the end, it's very difficult and it's very easy, but I just don't know how far um, back I should go in the whole history of things. Um, Let me just say he's like my first, like real my dog, but I have Mm -hmm. grown up with dogs and animals like all my life. Like my baby pictures like from newborn on there were always dogs in the picture and they were mainly um pugs so we've had um mutts as well and we've had a, um, a malinois i think they're called in english like a belgian shepherd as well um but pugs i think are sort of the dog that stole our um family's heart and probably if i um hadn't done any research, I probably would have gotten a pug because I love them so much. But with, and, and by that, I think I, I mean their character and their playfulness and everything. But with all that is wrong with the breed health-wise, I just sort of thought, no, there's, I cannot, I cannot. As much as I love them, like even our pugs, we've had so many difficulties with them health-wise. Like they would collapse, they wouldn't be able to breathe. We would have mm. to really mm-hmm. literally pull out their um, tongue and things mm. to get them to breathing. So that wasn't a thing. So I sort of always knew that I wanted a dog. Um, and then I went to college and I started my job and I was like, no, I know I want a dog. But I also know that I cannot have a dog when I don't have the time to spend on him or her so I sort of put the idea on the back burner and my my parents they sort of I think they tried going without a dog for like two years maybe and that didn't work so they got a dog again and they moved to Austria and that's where I met a friend of mine who is now a friend of mine and who is the trainer of my parents dogs in Austria and so through them I met her and I used to go on walks with her and she has a dog walking service, a dog boarding um, sort of hotel. So she would always ask me like, Hey, come along. And just, you know, like 
go on walks with me and, and I'll have an extra pair of hands to deal with the dogs, which I really love to do. And then I also did, because I'm also part-time photographer, I did her branding photography for her business. And while I was doing the branding photography, at one point I was sitting down in the snow in Austria and I took the pictures and one of the dogs that she had came and sat next to me and put his head in my lap and I was like oh my gosh you see this cute dog and she's like yeah you know he's up for adoption right <laughs> I was like no 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 you cannot tell me stuff like this because I cannot have a dog right now and like but he's so cute and anyway and he end, already chose you he sort of already chose me um so that's when I sort of started thinking about can I have can I maybe have a dog and things that my job sort of changed and um, we were allowed to do some homeworking we were allowed to do part-time which before all of that stuff was impossible and I was like well if I can do homeworking if I can do part-time I can sort of I can consider having a dog and um, I talked with my husband who really didn't want to have a dog and I talked to him about this particular dog and he was like, oh, my God, he's so huge and he's so big. And I don't know. Um, so long story short, we fostered that dog for um, for a week or so. We managed to teach him lots and lots of tricks, but he was huge. I felt horrible in a way about like taking him out of an Austria mountain setting and then, you know, taking him to Holland to a really urban setting where he wouldn't really have all the possibilities that he would have in Austria so brokenheartedly sort of after the week of fostering or yeah I guess fostering might not even be the the right word but sort of like a tryout week that we had with him we gave him back by the way I still see him um, whenever I go to Austria he's found an awesome like owner now so uh, in that sense everything worked out um, but sort of the seed was planted of like okay maybe I can have a dog so I started looking and I started thinking, well, what do I love to do? I love to hike. I love to do all that stuff. Um, I'm looking for a breed that could do that. And we were sort of looking for like a second him because in like in the week that he was with us, we taught him like so many like tricks. We taught him Frisbee and all kinds of like crazy stuff. And he was half Border Collie, half Hovewart, which is um, um, sort of like a farm dog in Austria and in Germany and uh, sort of a breed from there. So we're like, okay, border collie. But then I read about border collies and they like, I was like, okay, a bit nervous they seem. And hmm. And then I came across the Australian cattle dog. And that's Ooh. what Rusty is. And they were a little bit smaller. And my husband was like, well, I can, you know, like I can see there's no stopping you in getting a dog, but does it have mm -hmm. to be a big one? Can't it be a little bit smaller? And I was like, well, the cattle dog's just, you know, like rather than big, it's like medium size. And he's, they're supposedly smart. You can teach him a lot of things. They're ideal hiking partners, which would be great for Austria. And it all sounded good on paper, but I still didn't know. And, and what I knew of border collies and cattle dogs and herding breeds was like, you need, you know, you need to provide him with a lot of exercise and Mm -hmm. mental stimulation so I called a couple of breeders and I called the breeder that Rusty came from in the end and they had on their website they had this saying like I'm still one um, pup available like from of the litter but I thought this 
like I thought this might have been from an old litter or something that that website wasn't up to date. So in the end, I just called them about information about the breed and really telling them like, this is what I can offer a dog. Um, this is what I would be able to do with them. This is sort of our living situation, family situation. Would this type of dog slash breed work for me or am I out of my league? Should I look for something else? Well, it turns out that that pup that was on their website was really <laughs> still available. <laughs> and like based on what I told them, they said, yeah, I think definitely like what you're offering or what you could offer is good for this type of dog um so like maybe you want to come meet the puppies and what they said was they had one puppy available but they didn't say which one because they're a type of breather that sort of they just match up the number of people wanting a dog with the number of puppies and then depending on um the character traits they see in the puppies they match them up with the owner so they they basically could say we have one pup available but not which okay so we went there I took the kids I loved their dogs that they had they were all very social and like immediately coming up to us and and yeah well you know how it goes once you see a puppy that's it (laughs) so that was I was going to say end of story but still I doubt it very much especially because my husband is still very hesitant and I talked to a lot of people and then I talked to my parents and my parents were like come on you wanted a dog all of your life and this is like this came up and this seemed so perfect so we went ahead and got him and I think yeah and I think like one of the things you have to understand sort of about like in Europe it's different from um, the U.S. like if you want to travel with your puppy most countries you cannot travel until three weeks after um, they've had their rabies shot and Mm -hmm. I think like the first time like earliest they can get their rabies shot is I don't know 13 weeks something around that age so the earliest you can travel with them would be 16 weeks and we should we spent every summer in Austria and the 16 weeks for this puppy would coincide with when we were going to travel to Austria so it was almost like okay you know this is meant to be this this puppy we're just gonna get him so yeah. we got him. Okay, this is a bit longer than I wanted it to be, but yeah. <laughs> it's a good Next story. story. It's a good story. And I, I also wanted to ask you, after you had the experience of fostering the previous dog, what made you decide to go look for a puppy with a breeder versus, you know, fostering another dog or, I don't know, working with a rescue? I don't know how all of that works in Europe, but I'm curious how you made the decision to, to reach out to breeders. Okay, so two things I think um one is that contrary to the U.S. there are not a lot of rescue dogs available I think mm-hmm. I, I might have I might have looked it up like three weeks ago I think in the whole of of the country in shelters there were about 240 dogs in, oh wow okay we have a very small country right I mean it's like a state small state <laughs> of the U.S. um but then if you go and you sort of filter down to um, can be placed with children, uh, can stay in a home, can stay alone, can um, be taken along in the car, then you're left with even um, less of a selection. And then, right. which which I think is very good, they also don't give every dog to every person. 
Right. Um, so sometimes it felt really like the requirements were like, okay, I have to pass, I don't know what kind of exam, but something really serious to even be allowed yeah. um, to have a dog. So I kept, you know, an eye every time, like on the, there's just, there's one single website that is sort of an overarching type of website for all the shelters in Holland. So I just mm-hmm. subscribed to that and kept an eye on it, but I couldn't find, you know, like the dog that yeah, would anything that was going to work for you. Yeah. Well. That was going to yeah. work for us. So that was part of uh, the reason I didn't necessarily want a puppy. <laughs> um, but then with the, okay. So then going back to the other dog um, that we had for a week, he was super sweet, but he was known to have resource guarding issues. Like at one point also mm. he was sleeping next to me in the chair. Like I was in the chair, he was on the ground next to me and I moved and like he growled and it mm. shook me. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, wait a minute. I have two kids um, who will always come first. Um, and what do I really know about this dog? So there was a bit of this being scared of not knowing the right. background in combination with the responsibility for your children. Yeah, the uncertainty of how that could progress over time. Yeah. And I mean, knowing yeah. what I know now, but obviously I didn't at the time. <laughs> right. I like with the skill set that I have now, I feel totally okay with like, uh, with being able to deal with the dog, with that dog also, and with resource guarding issues. But at the time I was just like, Oh, and then my husband was who, like I said, wasn't, you know, like not the dog person. He was like, I don't know, maybe if we get a puppy, then um we will know what the dog has been through like we will know that he's not being uh, mistreated or nothing is right right yeah so you'll know a little bit more about the background the background so this so combination yeah so what was (laughs) what was rusty like when you first got him oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) i've seen pictures and he is he is so adorable oh yeah like fuzzball completely like there's um, no way you could have walked out of there without taking him home. No. Although no. there were two dogs, like two dogs that they said, you know, like would fit with our like family profile. One was a red healer and the other was a blue healer, which is Rusty. And Rusty picked my youngest son. So we always say it's your fault, you know, because Rusty is the one that came to you. So that's the one that we got. Um, but yeah, he was complete, super duper cute like fluffy little thing um but in hindsight already a handful like there was a lot of puppy biting and I know puppy bite now I know that it's normal um it might have been more I don't know because of of his breed because they're mm. like prone to nip anyway that's in their their genetics um but I don't think we were uh, like prepared for the amount of puppy biting that was going on nor for the amount of work um, that would be involved I did know that I wanted to do positive reinforcement training with him um, but it's I great that you already had the background to know all of that whereas I think a lot of us learn you know once issues start to come up and we're like what what is balance training what is positive reinforcement what is you know force free 
It's awesome that you already had that background. Still, no. I mean, yes and no, because it made me (laughs) doubt all the time. Like we, Mm. when we were thinking about getting a dog, um, we started, you know, looking into it and like, I'm sort of, I don't know what the type of personality is, but I want to know everything. I'm a perfectionist. So I started reading books. I started going on YouTube and my youngest son, especially was on YouTube with me. So we were watching video clips and we watched uh, a lot of, um, I think the two things that we watched were Zach George which I know like a lot of people uh have differing opinions about, but I still think um, he's done wonders for promoting like positive reinforcement training to the broader public. And then Emily Larlam of Kiko Pup. Kiko Pup, yeah. We watched a lot of things from. And so I sort of was like, yeah, I can do this. You know, like dog training is all about just being consistent and then doing these tricks that are in the positive reinforcement handbook, so to say, and we'll get there. Yeah. Right. Uh, Results yeah. guaranteed, as long as you yeah. follow these steps. Totally. And I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking at the time. I wasn't, I think. Um, but yeah, this was part of the things that we were doing. But one of the things I had missed, I think, was how much that depends on management as well. Mm. And I think partly the management part was lacking. Like people were saying like, yeah, you should put up baby gates. And I was like, I'm not putting up baby gates all through my house. Like I'm not changing the way I live because of the dog, you know, like I'm not putting, yeah. I just like, I just got rid of all the baby gates because my kids are old enough. I'm not putting them <laughs> back in. I just <laughs> right, filled up, right. like, you know, filled up all the holes in the wall. I repainted. So no. Yeah. So, and this was like back, that. back when, um, Rusty was still displaying like what you thought was normal puppy behavior or had something changed at this point? No, I think it was still very normal puppy behavior. And I think a lot of, I don't, I don't think he's like, that's what I always say. I don't, I don't have sort of the rescue excuse. And I also don't have the like abuse excuse or anything. I think in general, he is a pretty um, cool dog and whatever is, giving me issues is more me than him and it's more me through my how to say that my lack of knowledge I guess of dog training and therefore my lack of belief in that what I'm doing is the right thing Mm -hmm. and especially when you have I don't know if other people have this of like maybe like Belgian shepherds and things where people Mm. say, oh, these are such strong willed dogs and you have to um, show them who's boss right from the start um, to, yeah, to make sure that they're going to be good dogs in the end. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't jive with what I hear about positive reinforcement training. Right. And on the other hand, I know not, yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning, even there wasn't really a whole lot of issue with him at all. Like when he was young, it was just a lot of me. Like I knew cattle dogs were prone to not like other dogs, but more, I I was more worried about that. They say that they can be very like um, one person or single person oriented and be wary Mm -hmm. of strangers. So it was very, um, aware of the need to socialize him with lots of different people and dogs I just didn't really know what 
proper socialization in dogs looked like. Um, so one of the things that we did do was like he would always come to school with me to elementary school to pick up my youngest son. So he wasn't like when he was really little, they would allow him on the playground afterwards not. So we would uh, wait at the gate and like 200 ki kids would stream out past him and some would ask to to pet him or whatnot. And I would ex I, I would explain like the proper way to pet a dog and how to ask for permission uh, and all of that. So up until this day he loves kids so i mean like i mean adores kids so i think that at least that part worked yeah but, sounds but like for, you did such a great job with that for, for that yes but for dogs i was like yeah i think socializing with dog means that he can get to greet every freaking dog that we meet on every walk that mm. was not such a smart idea in in hindsight <laughs> but yeah up until then i think you know like he did great like the puppy biting frustrated us a lot in the beginning because like we were all like is this normal when is it supposed to stop like is it supposed yeah. to stop at 14 yeah. weeks 16 weeks three months four months half a year when you know things like that and i imagine a lot of those questions were also very breed specific questions right so even if puppy biting for most dogs you know fades at a certain age given that he's an australian cattle dog I wonder if you were thinking like, oh, well, maybe this lasts longer for, for this breed. Maybe we need to be more patient. Yeah. Or the other way around, like, yes, more patient or, oh gosh, maybe I should have curbed this already by now because mm, now that right. he's not good, it might get out of hand and I might get myself like a biting dog or something, you know, like right. sort of this, this right. worry all the time and other people telling me um I don't know I just I was I was constantly looking for someone to help me you know sort of guide me and I didn't know what to look for in trainers and I think a lot of trainers didn't know what to do with a dog like him because he was he's a great dog but he was very energetic and I remember taking him to puppy class and there's this book I think it was it's by Susan Garrett where she Think shaping success i think is the book or something of the sort where she talks about taking her dog like the first dog she's going to actually train using positive reinforcement completely um, where she took him to puppy class and i was like oh yes that's that's rusty like i took him to puppy class and you know they teach about how to teach him to sit and lie down and stuff and he could do all of that already because you know like zach george and videos and all yeah. that so we got that down he just couldn't do it in a puppy class <laughs> he was like shooting <laughs> off to every other puppy there was too amped this, up yeah completely amped up and I was yeah. asking the teacher like yeah but what do I do now like you know do do I because I don't want to like yank on the leash and but I'm pretty sure he's not supposed to be like you know racing off to all the other dogs in the class either so help and I don't think she really knew either you know so I was constantly mm. looking for somebody to tell me like but then how do I do this in this positive learning style yeah. how do I how? and at this point you were you were doing all of the training yourself right yeah but or were you working and... with a with any kind of trainer or anything so in Holland it's like I didn't I didn't know any people with dogs so I didn't know there were also like trainers you could go to like privately or any of that stuff um and here you have a thing called yeah I don't know 
KC is the abbreviations. Like, I guess it's kennel club organizations where um, there's lots of volunteers who've, who've done courses and um, training and who then become volunteer trainers. And this is the only place I knew to go uh, with the dog. And actually the one that is like in my hometown is very good. Um, but still, there's one other cattle dog in that um, in that club, and that's it. And they were sort of like, mm, I I really don't think that they knew <laughs> what to do with an energetic pup like that. But we did yeah. do the training there, so we did um, puppy training there. We did basic obedience, which he graduated. Then we did basic obedience two, which he graduated with like like the best score out of everything. And then we did um, like sort of a, a like basic, like advanced obedience. And like I in, in the end found another puppy class where we also did the puppy class and two different obedience courses. So, I mean, we did like, we were like twice a week, we were on the ground somewhere doing practicing and yeah. practicing. Yeah. But, and he knew the exercises and stuff, but he would still be like, oh, there's another dog. Pew! <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> distracted and overwhelmed and excited and must go there maybe over aroused yeah I mean you won't be surprised to hear that that was that was very much atlas and puppy class you know he could learn all the things very quickly but you know he would see another puppy come in or even another person and just the level of excitement would wipe out any ability to focus and concentrate on the task versus like need to go say hi need to go sniff, need to go introduce myself. Totally. Yeah. And I think like right. there's one exercise for one of the advanced classes where you, uh, all the dogs are in leash and you sort of walk crisscross on the field and you pass each other left and right. And, um, and then at a whistle signal or some other signal, the trainer, you stop. And then the person you're closest to you shake hands and you introduce yourself and you sort of like you know like you would do a a little chat on the street and the dogs are not supposed to um go to each other or greet each other and um do all that kind of stuff so i mean i i was like at that time he was pretty good with that and i did find like two or three owners where i was like yeah with those dogs he's pretty good so we would sort of agree like okay when there's the exam because he had an exam you know that you have to pass like we're just gonna be like close to each other and then we'll be the one doing the greeting so you know like right. really well um like that but still that was all of those were sort of pre-puberty classes I think like in impurity things started to get um more difficult yeah when did you start to notice I mean it sounds like the the sort of over arousal had been there since puppyhood but when did you start to notice maybe more problematic and concerning behaviors and the reactivity and all of that so this was so yeah definitely over arousal from puppyhood right and I knew it was there even though I didn't I wasn't a dog trainer or too aware of all of it I had already asked in puppy class like what do I do Um, But the first sort of wake up call came when we did the exam for like the advanced obedience. So this was like the third or fourth um, sort of coursework thing training that we did. 
And we had to do the exam. I said, okay, can we go first? Because there was sort of an order. And I was like, okay, if he has to wait two hours before it's his turn, then nothing's going to happen anymore. So we were the first to go and um, do all the exercises. He did great, but I know it was very, very tiring for him. And I said, okay, well, are you okay with me leaving um, when he's like really done? And he said, yeah, normally we like, you know, like participants to stay until the end, but I can see it's better if he leaves. So, which in the end, like in hindsight, I was like, wow, I, I, at least I got that part, you know, like I knew to take him home, <laughs> um, like before things got too much for him. Right. Although Seems I didn't, like a great, I, a great job advocating for your dog and like knowing what his needs are and speaking up for him. Yeah, in that sense, although I didn't know that that was what it was at the time, but I, I think this was the first time where I, I realized that I had to, um, like actively do like do something. Um, so I took him home, and this was after. So the exam was like at eight or something in the evening, so it was pretty late already. And then I was going to book a holiday with a friend of mine, and we were gonna get like flight tickets and all pre-COVID time when all that good stuff was still okay. And she's like, okay, sure. I just come over and then we can just, you know, get everything done, book the tickets and we're good. Yeah, sure. And she brought her dog and um, that was like a miniature dachshund that Rusty had known from puppyhood. So they've played together. Like they've been to our house. We've been to their house. No worries whatsoever. Uh, but Rusty hadn't eaten, obviously, because I was like, with all the exercises, I didn't want him to get like a twisted stomach or anything. So mm-hmm. I said, I'll feed him after. And he had just like, just, just, just finished eating when they came up the stairs. And me, idiot, I didn't know anything. So I just went, um, so they, like, she already sat down at dinner table with my husband and I were chatting and I saw her little dog and was like, hey, how are you, little dog? Hi. And um, I went to pet him. So far, so good. Rusty was a bit away. And uh, Rusty approached the other dog, who was in my house, of course, in his house. And the other dog was like, no, I don't want that. So he growled at Rusty. And Rusty was like, nah, I am not having that you growling at me in my own home so he attacked the other dog which he'd never done before and he bit him and I was completely in shock and I was like what no 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 so like he let go and I was like whoa what happened here and luckily my friend's still my friend (laughs) and and she didn't hold it against me and I thought about it and I contacted a trainer then or I'm not a trainer because of course I was working with trainers already but a behaviorist I was like, what do I do? And they were like, well, this is just like perfect, like just trigger stacking, you know, like don't Mm. hold it against him too much because, you know, exam right after like his feed in his own home, dog, you know, with his owner, like all of that is like the perfect storm. Um, Like there wasn't any real, real, like, you know, dog's still alive. Both are still alive it's it's like a one-off thing but it was the first time where I was like oh my gosh this dog that he's always loved uh, and played with is now all of a sudden not um, like his super duper friend anymore 
and how old was he when this happened under a year okay under a year i think but full like really the full-blown purity and the other dog was also male and the other dog like was also intact Mm -hmm. Um, so i do think that that some teenage hormones yeah played a part and then so this was one of like a one-off incident but that scared like the bejeebies out of me oh yeah i'm sure it must have been a bit traumatic and yeah just put you on your toes constantly afterwards whoa but you know they would like so the other dog did not want to come into our home anymore <laughs> like whenever he would approach our house he would go across the street by himself go to the other side <laughs> oh. of the street <laughs> walk by and then come back um but they would like off leash like we would still go on walks together and there was no issue between the two of them like mm. that so again also sort of uh goes to show how situational things are for dogs right and right. like the dogs and even like he would walk underneath rusty on walks or like cross underneath yeah. him or through his paws or whatnot so i think in, in that was okay but so this was one incident then the other thing was like since he was five months old he had gone on a uh like with a dog walking service and i also again i'm not sure how precisely it works in the u.s but where we are um, they pick him up in like fancy, um, like air conditioned van. They all go in their own little kennels in the van, and then they drive to one of the off leash areas. So it's not really dog parks, but areas just in nature where dogs are allowed to go off leash. They walk him for an hour, hour and a half. They play together, and then they drop him back off. And so he'd been going with this dog walking service since he was five months old. Which I also thought was, okay, this is good for socialization because, you know, this is the, the, for, like, for his breed to be like around other dogs like that from like a young age on, it's probably very good. And he had been with this service in the end. I think he's been with him for like a year and a half total, like from five months old. And at one point he did, I, but don't ask me like what age he was, but way after the Dachshund incident. I got a call from them and saying like that he had um, like gotten into something with one of the other dogs in the dog walk mm. and that he had put his teeth on the other dog, but that the other dog was okay. But still they wanted me to know of the incident. And so again, I was like, okay, crap, what's going on? But those are one of the things you cannot do anything about them. You don't know, you weren't there. You don't know what the behavior was before. You don't yeah. know. You don't know anything. So I was just like, okay, okay, but still not really, you know, like knowing anything. Like not understanding what was going on. Yeah. yeah and between and then, those two incidents, did you notice him acting any differently, like on walks when he would see a dog or with other friends' dogs or, you know, in any other circumstances? I think he was getting like more lungy and things towards other dogs or maybe not lungy, but like wanting to go to other dogs mm. and also sort mm -hmm. of like to some dogs, he would go like, you know, like be reactive and, and bark and do all that yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. What you would call general reactiveness, I guess. And I do think like I, this was one of the things that I had asked a lot of trainers, like from when he was young on, like, how do I deal with it? Like when I, 
uh, past other dogs. And it would always say like increase distance and stuff. And I was like, yeah, have you seen the path be- behind my house? I cannot increase distance. I can barely step off to the side of, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you walk anywhere else? Uh, like where, like I have to walk somewhere from my house and to get there, I have to, you know, like I, I was, I was always feeling a bit like, I don't know what to do. And then it would be like, yeah, throw, like, can you do food scatter? And I was like, yeah, I can do a food scatter. But do you really think my dog's going to be interested in that food when the dog's walking by? He's not going to, he's not taking a single treat. So what, like, give me. Right. Like clearly he's something. way over threshold. He's yeah. not going to take the food. Yeah. So, so give me something practical to do when that happens. But nobody really knew. And I like, asked, can't you just come with me on a walk? And then you can <laughs> see and you can tell me like in a situation like this, like maybe not do this, but I would have done, like we can analyze afterwards, like different options that were there, but none of that was um, sort of in the cards. And the one lady of the dog walking service, she also said, well, you know, like he's a character, but I can deal with him. He's okay. Um, And then at the beginning, like right at the beginning of COVID, there was another incident with, so, so they split up the dog walking. There's two it's a two person company and like the one day they will go with the one lady and the other day they will go with the other lady so that they know all dogs know both people in case there's something and um, they can like one of them get sick and they can only go with the other one. So it's always sort of like 50, 50. And so this time he was with the other lady and she got distracted because one of the dogs walked too close to a person with the pram and she didn't want that. And sort of behind her back, um, something happened with Rusty and another dog and there was another fight and there were teeth in the other dog and they have a two strikes throughout rule so with the other incident that had happened before like a couple of months earlier and then this one they were like well we can't sell this to our other customers if there's a dog in the group that's you know mm-hmm. having issues with the other dogs so from one day to the other he was home and I was completely like, like, I don't know, a bazillion things going through my head from one to like, do I have an aggressive dog? Do I have a a bad dog? Which I didn't really believe, but I, I was like, whoa, I didn't, well, I didn't know what to think to also like the practicalities of his, of, I was relying on this dog walking service for the days I was going to work. So what am I going to do now? And like all of this, like, am I going to um, have to give up this dog? And I think, I think this is the part that we discussed, like when, when we were talking about Atlas's story also, like this, this sort of second incident, but I was lost, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. So. Yeah. And I imagine there was a lot of like questioning your own, everything your approach your training your you know like how you raised him especially especially because you were saying previously like you felt like you didn't have the excuse of oh well he's a rescue Mm. oh well we don't know what happened to him it's like I imagine it was a a lot of um, emotional weight for you as well a lot and also because I just I had a feeling that this sort of new way training that you know is what how I thought of it made more sense and it was the way I wanted to go 
but so many people who seem to have more experience than than I did were telling me I was doing it all wrong and I'm I'm mm. like I met this trainer when I was in Austria by accident he was training uh, males and stuff in um in German it's called Schützhund I don't know I, it might be a thing in in mm. the US as well uh, it's IP IP something oh, don't even ask me because I don't train in that <laughs> um particular dog sport but IPO or something don't know and I'm thinking of beer you know IPAs but that's something else. <laughs> um and he was like oh he was super interested in cattle dog you know like he'd always heard of them and I was like oh my gosh um, do you want to come and train here like uh, every now and then so I was like we were spending a lot of time in Austria I said well I have a trainer like I'm training with him in Holland but I would love to be able to continue in Austria so yeah why not and then when Rusty was still young he was like no you have to be like it turns out he was very like punishment-based trainer but I didn't mm. know at the time he's like you have to be harsher on him and this dog he's going to attack your children if you stay lenient with him oh, like wow. that and your killed children are going to get bit and oh wow and so all of that you know kept going through my mind and people that I met on walks that were telling me like why are you giving me treats you're not supposed to do that he's just supposed to do it um like for the love of you <laughs> Uh, and you're spoiling him and that's going to end up with me. So all of those thoughts that it, and oh all my of gosh, things so that people had told judgment. me that were all going through my mind, like it's probably all my fault. You know, it's probably all right. me. Right. And you're getting so much unsolicited advice and mm. feedback and judgment. I imagine that's, yeah, it just must have felt very confusing yeah and overwhelming. I, was, I was yeah and I also I, I thought yeah I, I, I don't know I think I was really thinking like is it me and I think in hindsight of course part of it was me of course part of it is um not knowing how to deal with it of course part of me trying to raise him with this like force-free training method would have needed to include possibly not going to the puppy class anymore or mm. um, going to the puppy class, but at a, you know, like a way bigger distance to the other puppies. Right, right. Or, you know, like in hindsight. Like all of those management pieces that yeah. we learn about when it feels like we would yeah. have really benefited from them earlier. Yeah. And nobody told me that because I, I think right. they, the trainers there, I think all of that worked pretty well for like the average dog because that heavy right. management or this increasing of distance and keeping dogs under threshold wasn't really necessary for most dogs. Right. And how could you have known? No, I, I like, know. It just feels like the kind of thing where you don't, I think we talked about this on, on the other episode too, of you don't know until you're forced to know, to know. like, how could you possibly know all the things unless you know, until you have to experience them. And then once you know better, you can do better. But yeah, hindsight is always, always 2020. Yeah. So I'm curious when you were experiencing all of this, like, I don't know, the sense of, is it me? Am I doing something wrong? you know, you shared that with, with the foster dog that stayed with you for just a week, like he was able to learn so much so quickly. Did that give you any sense of like, well, I'm not, I, I am a skilled trainer. Like I do have 
the capacity to teach a dog something. Maybe it's not all me or did that not even come, come into play? It's so funny that you're saying that because it probably should have, but I think I'm my own worst critic. So I, Mm. I didn't even think to think of all the things that had gone right or the things that I had like taught the other dog or that I had managed to teach Rusty and how great he was in so many other aspects. I was just seeing my own, my own shortcomings and partly I think maybe even only his shortcomings, not only I want to say, but it was such a big thing that maybe also because how it's made out to be by our culture right that a dog that bites or has bitten or attacks is a bad, bad. dog yeah. and by extension the owner is a bad owner right and by extension you're putting everyone at risk and yes right and so I, f- I felt that maybe I, I couldn't see past that enough mm. at the time. And I think I have to give it to my mom here in this case. She always said, he is such a sweet and loving dog. He is great. And she said, and like, and, and Rusty, and she has two dogs. Rusty and one of, of my parents' dogs do not get along. Mm. Also male dog. <laughs> and, uh, and he, she knows that. And still, she's like, oh, no. She said, that is normal. He is a awesome, great dog. And she kept telling me that. And I was like, I know that. I know that. I feel that. But everybody else is telling me that, oh, you know, yeah. like sort of this feeling, which is stupid. Um. Well, I'm saying that it's stupid, but no feelings are ever stupid, I guess. That's also one of the things I'm learning. You're allowed to feel that. uh, And then you have to work through it. Um, But yeah, like I said, I have to give it to her. She was sort of kept planting that seeds of no, don't look only at that. Yeah. At those incidents, which are like, I'm making a gesture now, which you can't hear on a podcast, but like it's such a tiny part of who he is. It's just one layer of the onion can't be all there is so what's what um so you had that second incident that sort of completely threw you for a loop both in terms of like who he is who you are how he lives with your family even your daily life and like the logistics of yeah you know getting through a day without a dog walker so what yeah what happened after that both in terms of like the you know your relationship with him, the whole emotional part of it, the logistics of it. Who? I know that for a week, it was roughly a week. I was completely all over the place emotionally, you know, thinking of, I have to give him up. Um, yeah. But then thinking, where would he go? And I know like he comes from absolutely an awesome, awesome, awesome breeder. So they, they will take their dogs back. Like if he were eight years old or 10 years old and and they would have the capacity to take him back, they would take him back. So that was, wasn't really the issue, but I was like, just a thought of 
bringing him back to the breeder was I don't know maybe I was also still afraid also of being judged also by maybe the breeder by other yeah. um, people who have cattle dogs like oh it's one of those people that didn't know what they were uh, getting involved with and and whatnot um the logistics were a bit well in that sense they became easier because of covid because i went yeah. right at that time we all went to full-time home working and not going to the office anymore so i was like well okay fine i'll just do a super long walk in the morning and um and then i'll just walk work from home um so that helped and so i started doing that so i just did like really early morning walks and he's an awesome like if we're talking about positive things he's an awesome stay-at-home work dog you know like after we do that walk he will already like he will get his water walk down to where I work to the office hop onto the couch and be there until I'm done that's like he he knows the routine so like stuff like that he's awesome so I started doing that and then I don't think I thought about it too much anymore. That just sort of became the new routine. And I was like, well, I'll cross right. whatever bridge there is to cross if COVID, uh, like, you know, stops or if things change. Right. And we'll take it from there. And so far it hasn't. And we're also over a year um, down the road. He's gotten older. Um, we've trained even more. And I know now, even if I were to go back to work, um, I would probably still be able to work it this way that I would um, just get up really early and get him his an hour or hour and a half walk, get it in. And he'd be able to stay home while I worked mm-hmm. until one of the kids comes home from school, which is always a bit earlier than I would come home from work. And I think that would probably work. So logistically that sort of because of COVID <laughs> uh, yeah. worked its way out and allowed me to sort of calm down a little bit and, I talked to a lot of people about it and I never hid that he like had bitten or anything. I would just say like, Oh my gosh, you you just, you know what he did now? He got kicked out of his dog walking service and you're like, wait, what, what did he do? And <laughs> I would explain and he got the nickname a hole dog. Um, oh, sorry, Russ, not. Russ. He's been promoted again. He's been promoted like the other day. Like everybody said, no, he can't have that sort of nickname anymore. But at the time when he got kicked from the dog walking service, he was nicknamed a whole dog. And um, I talked to them and they asked me about what I was going to do. And after a little bit, like one of my best friends, um, she said, so have you made up your mind? I was like, well, he's gonna, he's staying. And she's like, yeah, but I already knew that. And I'm like, I knew that already. He was, you just needed to, um, you know, sort of figure that out for yourself. But I knew that that was going to be the conclusion. And I think part of that also was like, just thinking of where else would he go? And then he would go maybe into a home that is like balance training or punishment-based training. And then, no, I couldn't live with that. And I think part of it is that I make it, I make it seem like more of a problem for me because I'm such a perfectionist and have this ideal image of what a dog should be like that. But when you realistically look at how he is, he's pretty cool, you know, like he's yeah. a pretty cool dog. So if that's like the only issue that he has and for the rest, he's perfectly behaved then geez, what am I, you know, like what's the problem? <laughs> right. Although I don't, I don't think it's just you. I feel like that's, you know, part of 
part of what a lot of the conversations on the podcast have been is like, there is this societal like image of what a good dog is and they're not allowed to have any faults. And if you have even one fault, especially if it's reactivity or, you know, something that like labels them as a dangerous dog, it's, it's so quick to write them off as a bad dog. And I think part of the journey is just like realistically looking at all of the parts that make them who they are and making space for all of those. Totally. And well, also (laughs) still, it's a lot about knowing that it can be like that, that it can be that you have a dog that loves chasing bikes or that doesn't like other dogs in close proximity or only like certain dogs or um, hates being alone or whatnot. If you know that all of those things are also part of like normal dogness, <laughs> then right. you can feel better prepared when they do show up. Like when all you think is, oh, a dog should be able to stay at home six hours in a row without um, tearing up your sofa and barking and not, and should never bark at the mailman when they come and should leave all bicycles, uh, skateboarders and rollerbladers alone and should like wag it still at every other single dog it meets. If you think that <laughs> right. that's what a dog's supposed to be, then anything that's out of the frame of that or that's sort of an outlying behavior is going to make you feel bad because you don't have the perfect dog or you did something to mess up the perfect dog because that was obviously your fault that it didn't turn out. Right. And that perfect dog you just described sounds more like a robot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And would be no fun. And would be no fun. My my youngest son, uh, because of course, uh, because we taught like the the one dog in Austria that many things in the one week, the, the running gag here is like, oh my gosh, mom, you said that cattle dogs were supposed to be smart and look at how long it's taking us to teach him like A, B or C or whatever. It's sort of like, <laughs> you know, like a, a, a joke in our household. Um, but the other day, the youngest, my youngest son was like, mom, you know, he said, we, we joke like that. I said, he said, but Rusty is like the smartest dog there is. He's just smart for himself. And he said, he's always asking what's in it for me. And if there's nothing in it for him, then, you know, <laughs> do whatever. That's and it fair. made me laugh so much. But I thought, yes, that is perfectly his character. He is super smart. But you got to show him um, that it's something that he wants to work for. That's cool to work yeah. for, you know. And then when he's found right. that, he will do anything. Learn it. Yeah. And Yeah. I think that that has been part of our experience too maybe not not in that exact same way but I had always thought you know when when we were teaching Atlas all of these skills and like trying to counter condition him and it just didn't seem to be working I was like well either either I'm dumb and I'm not teaching this properly or either he's dumb because he's not learning it or both yeah and it wasn't it wasn't until we worked with we were working with a trainer that we really loved and trusted. And one day I just asked her because we were struggling. I was like, just tell me the truth. Is he just not very smart? 
is he just not intelligent or is it that I'm doing it wrong? And she was like, you know what? Intelligence and emotion are two different things. And he is smart. Like when you teach him a skill, he learns it and he learns it very quickly. The reason that you think he's not smart is because when he's emotionally overwhelmed, he can't apply that skill. That doesn't mean he's not smart. doesn't mean he hasn't learned it. It just means that his emotion overpowers him, you know, and he's just over aroused and like lizard brain versus being able to access any skills. And that, for me, that differentiation was so important just to understand, you know, doesn't mean that either one of us is not smart. It just means that sometimes we get overpowered by emotions. And I think that applies just as much to humans, as much as I hate to admit it. Like when you are really (laughs) mad about something, you're not sitting there logically, like accessing all of your skills. You're just mad. And it made me, that made me have a little more compassion for him. Of It's it's not that you're not a smart dog. It's not that you don't know the skill. You just, you're so, you know, riding that like reactive wave that you can't even get to those skills. It's the same thing with um, like bikes, for example, I'm moving things. It it was something that Rusty struggled with for the longest time. And I mean, still you have to be, a little bit on alert but not as, as much as before but where i live i live in um in a student city and and holland is known for its bikes everybody rides a bike it's faster to get anywhere on a bike than it is on a bike car or anything so we all ride bikes and in the student city everybody rides bikes and the like mm-hmm. the sort of bikeway from the city center to the university goes through our street so as soon oh, wow. as we walk out the front door it is bikes, 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 bikes. Wow. Great. If you have a herding <laughs> breed. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Gives you lots of opportunity to counter condition. Um, but I did that like from puppyhood on. I would sit at the intersection. I would, you know, like just feed treats for every bike and, yeah. and whatnot. And it would go great. And he would let 300 bikes go. And then bikes number 301 to 309 would be all his. And then it would be okay for 400 bikes. And then the Mm -hmm. next 10 would be. And I was like, every time I thought I was there, I wasn't, (laughs) you know, and it would. And and I thought, ah, what is it? And I wish somebody would have told me, like, maybe more clearly. Maybe they did. Maybe I wish I would have heard it more clearly (laughs) at the time. That this is sort of like a sawtooth thing you know like it goes up like you're training and then you will have a bit of a setback and it will go back up and and it will like you said the lizard brain like his lizard brain of wanting to chase moving stuff i think will always be there and his impulse control will will be better the more we train it but there might still be a moment where you know lizard brain (laughs) takes over takes over and that's not I don't know. It's not bad. It's just there, you know, and you it's just train, rusty. Yeah. You train as much as you can. And I really have to say like nowadays, for example, we, we play Frisbee and we can play Frisbee and there will be bikes like within 10 feet of us whizzing by and he will ignore the bikes. That's amazing. And I was like, well, yeah. And then, but just to give you another example, like we would be like in another field, like 30 feet away from the bicycle path, throwing frisbees the opposite way. So away from the bicycle path and a bike would come and like, he would chase the bike, like after 
four months of not having chased a single bike <laughs> while playing frisbee he would go after I, I was with a friend of mine and he was looking at me like like he hasn't done that in like forever i said no i said luckily he didn't like he, i mean he would just like run with the bike and i recalled yeah. him and he recalled so i was oh that's i was well done rusty that was a, a, a sort of victory in itself absolutely but like for 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 two days or so i was still feeling a bit down and like oh my gosh he went for the bike but on the other hand i was like yeah well and I'm, this is something i'm learning where i'm like yeah well so he went after the bike well he didn't like do anything he recalled off of a bike yeah and and so for the next couple of times we were a little extra vigilant and now for for three months he's been good again I'm like okay you know that's it it's just it's just life yeah yeah let it go so right so not i guess my much. last <laughs> not too not much too right much. still not manage much. still manage um my last sort of big question for you is so what you know after that that second incident and then covid and all of that what has living with rusty been like have you been doing a lot of training have you sort of switched more to management um are you still do you still have a lot of apprehension about you know what if he what if he turns that reactivity towards someone in the family like are you in a more do you feel in a more stable place with him or is there still a lot of questioning uh, I know that's a lot of questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not one question, Liana. Hmm. Um, now, yes, take that any no. direction you want to go. Okay, it's going to be a long answer, but it's several directions. So, one direction is uh, after that second incident, I do feel that for myself, I couldn't ignore it. Mm -hmm. anymore i mean not that i was ignoring it but i still had sort of in in my mind like when we meet other dogs oh maybe it will be okay and i would consider letting them uh, meet and or yeah i would consider letting them meet and think like he's not a, a bad dog he's been going with his dog walking service it has only been like two incidents in one and a half years of two to three days per week with the walking service so I was more sort of, yeah, I don't know, not, no, but not like when we're talking about advocating for your dog, I wasn't advocating for my dog that much before. And that incident sort of triggered me also with the help of another behaviors that I then found that really, really helped us out a lot. Um, I was like, no, it needs to be a hundred percent clear to both of us so that means that when he's out on a walk he is with me and we are just not our rule is no other dogs you will not meet another dog you will not go to the other dog unless i give you the okay specifically and if not your default behavior is going to be ignore the other dog come to me or find some way sort of to to contact me but no greeting and even if the other dog comes up to you no greeting i'm going to block that dog i'm going to show you that i am the one that you're working with and the other dog is just you know 
not there. So this led me to be way, way, way more consistent on walks, I think. And it led me to be better at shouting, my dog's not friendly, and actually saying, like, and we just discussed this before we got on to the recording, like, yesterday we met another dog and the owner wouldn't listen, and I just went, like, mine bites, and then they went and got, got their dog. So I'm way more consistent in that. And that has led also to actually nicer walks, calmer walks, because it's so much more clear what's going to happen. There's not this doubt of, yeah, maybe I will let you meet this dog because this dog seems okay or something. No, there's just, no. Yeah, like both You're, of you know what the what, what the parameters of the walk What the are. rules are. So that's something that is definitely better. Um, as far as training goes, yeah, the behaviors I just mentioned um, that I got in touch with, she actually knows my dog walking service. So they, I had them talk together about the incident, um, like without me being there because I was like, well, you were there, you've seen it and you're the expert behaviorist. So you guys talk and figure out what's wrong between air quotes, um, with him, which in the end, the behaviorist says there's nothing wrong with him. He just wants to work with you as a human. And when he's in a dog walking group, he is a herding breed. He doesn't get direction from the humans at that point because the idea is for all the dogs to play together, which is not what he wants. He wants to herd one or two and he will. And if they don't do what he says, he's going to nip them like a cat does. So this was basically the behavior he was shown. So she was like, I'm not too worried about it, but you know, if you're going to send this dog on a dog walking service, she says that's doing it for you, but not for him because you're not doing him any favors. He just wants to work for you and with you. Um, such so, a great differentiation yeah, around you're doing totally. it for you and not for him. For him. Which she says there's nothing wrong with every now and then doing it for you, you know? Right. Either. I mean, we also. do have to structure our lives in a way that, you know, it works. For we both. still have work. We still have other responsibilities. Yeah. It's like with my kids. I sometimes will say, well, I, I would love to help you now, but now it's me time. So tomorrow or something like that. You know, and that works for dogs as well. Um, but um, one of the things that I worked on with her was um, I got this feeling of overwhelm a bit after that because I said, I cannot train more with this dog. I am spending hours a day. Like I, I you know, I said I go for an hour to an hour and a half walk in the morning and that doesn't include driving time to wherever it is that we're going then in between I do little five minute training sessions then I have an afternoon walk and like in Holland you don't let your dogs just do whatever they do in the yard like when they have to relieve themselves you actually walk have to walk them so like whenever he would need to go out every so many hours I would walk him so I said that adds up to like three four hours a day every day I said I, do, I just duh, I have kids I have life I have work I cannot do this so she said okay what we're going to do is figure out a schedule for you um, to enjoy your dog but to have um, like more time for you where you can reduce some of that time so we worked on that and part of that was also like on walks to do like incorporate walks and training itself more. And that worked really well. So that was one of the things afterwards that we did. I did do less um, and, and um, I'm, I'm, that's something that I am sad about, but also because of COVID, my um, 
agility trainer that she's amazing um she didn't have time anymore she also got a kid there was a COVID. there was like the field that we were training at there was stuff going on so for a while now we haven't done any agility training and that's something that i am uh, really been bummed about because it was something that we both enjoyed doing very much so at the moment we're not doing a lot of like training for dog sports or any of that stuff but we are doing way more training on walks and doing like look at that with the dogs and um incorporating the normal things that you would do in like in an obedience class on walks for example so that he knows like hey if i need a job during the walk because you know i'm the dog that's looking for its own job i can come to you for that job so that's really what we've been working on so it's actually less training at home at home is more like chill downtime and then the Mm -hmm. training is taking place on the walks so that when we're at home there's a little bit um less and have you personally come to terms more with you know this is who rusty is it might get better it might not get better um but this is he is a part of our family and this is who he is i think so because and that's really he loves people so i have absolutely no issues or Okay, my, this might come back to bite me in the behind, but I, I, I cannot see him ever being reactive to, uh, I'm lying there, but um, to, like to people. It's really the dog thing, and that's something I can manage for the most part. Mm-hmm. So if we do, like if, like I'm, I'm, I block other dogs on walks if they do come up, um like if i see like a dog walking surface with like 10 off-leash dogs approaches i know that that's going to be hell so if i cannot um make my way around in a big circle or whatnot i i bring a muzzle and i just put the muzzle on rusty and i'm like well okay bring it on (laughs) you know at least i know that my dog's (laughs) not gonna be able to do anything because he's muzzled so so it's a lot more peace and quiet, but there are still like little things. And what I said about like reactiveness and to my family, the the one issue that we still have right now, or that's something new that's popped up is that he ran into electric fencing when my oldest son was walking him. Like he did, it was an accidental thing, like in sheep pasture, goat pasture. And he has made the connection of this electric shock to that was my son that was walking him. So ever since that incident, like whenever my oldest son comes into the room, you can see that he's stressed, he barks, he he will like, you know, like push the stuff over, like um, out of stress and uh, that's not helping. So that's something that we're working on now. <laughs> so it never, that, and that's a feeling that sometimes is frustrating, you know, like it never ends. It's like, what next? What's the next thing that you're going to throw at us that we're going to have to be, um, working on right um yeah. but yeah I feel I was gonna say I'm not gonna say I feel confident that we're gonna get there um but before I would have been like really annoyed with it and I, I might still be sort of annoyed because I feel sad <laughs> for my oldest son because he's like my god the dog hates me and it yeah, it certainly feels like that and I can imagine it, it must be even worse for him because he's the sort of, yeah, 
the person yeah. that the dog's reacting to. But I do now have more of an ability to see it as a puzzle where I'm like, okay, it's another puzzle that we have to solve. And we've tried to, you know, like to put this piece there that didn't work. Let's go another route and try and solve it that way. Um, I love that, that analogy of it being a challenge, a puzzle to solve versus like, you know, a one and done kind of situation. And I feel like it's a puzzle where, like you're saying, the pieces are always shifting. You might be missing a piece at times. Like the puzzle is constantly evolving. It's not a, oh, I'm going to put this here. And like for the, for the rest of this dog's lifetime, it is solved. It's just like a constant, oh, now this is a thing we have to concern ourselves with. Okay. How do we, how do we resolve it? And another thing is sometimes it's just, it doesn't even need to be solved. It's something that will go away with time. Like some of the behaviors I think just have to do with age, like the puppy Mm -hmm. biting. If you just stay consistent and don't like overreact to it or whatever, then as soon as they grow up and they get older and they get their adult teeth and whatnot, it will go away. It's, it's some of the stuff mm -hmm. that you shouldn't worry too much about it. I remember talking to parents, like when my kids were little and there were other parents and um, like one of them, the kid was wetting the bed till like a later age than like average or normal or whatever that is. And, um, and we were talking and she said, you know what? I talked to somebody and they told me, who do you know that's 18 or 20 that still wets the bed? She was like, I don't think I know anyone. Exactly. The other person had said, so quit worrying about it. And she felt so relieved. And I never forgot that because I think that applies to dogs as well. You know, like sometimes it is just, um, it's just that it's just some of the stuff just don't sweat it. It might just resolve itself. Not all of it. Sometimes you have to jump on board the train train, but yeah. Well, and I think some of the stuff also, you just, you can choose to accept and not try to resolve. You know, I think there's a lot of issues that maybe societally you think is a problem, but if it's, if you're fine with it, then, then why do you need to train for it? You know, like for, for example, I don't know how it is at your house, but I don't care if Atlas is on all the furniture in the house. That is the furniture we have is completely dog friendly. He can be on it. So I don't, for me, that's not even a thing I need to care about managing or hoping that it goes away with time or, you know, there's other behaviors too, where it's, it might not be acceptable for someone else, but I just choose not to put my energy there because there's so much other stuff that we need to work on. So, you know, even if some of them don't resolve, if, if they're tolerable, I think sometimes we can just, yeah, just accept them. Yeah. Pick your battles. Exactly. That is, that is certainly a motto. Pick your battles. Plus so speaking of fun if they go on the sofa and sit next to you. So, Oh my gosh. If, if I didn't have snuggles with my dog, I, I don't think we would have any kind of relationship. Like that is what I need after a f- stressful, stressful walk, just a little cuddling. And I'm like, okay, this is why I love you. I remember this. See? <laughs> um, speaking of, you know, frustration and expectations and all that, I, I'm going to ask you to respond to the three words that you created. Remember this game? Yeah. I know podcast listeners can't see it, but 
uh, you are grimacing. <laughs> yeah, because I haven't prepared all of that. I'm like, I always well, ask everybody else and now I'm up. It'll be spontaneous. Yes. Um, so expectation, frustration, celebration. Where does your mind go with those three words? Oh, okay. I'll try to keep it short. Okay, so expectation, I think, is if I had known better what to expect, I think I would have seen less of the things or issues, if you even want to call it like that. I would have not seen them as issues because I would have expected them. And that, when it comes to frustration, would have um, spared me a lot of frustration. Um, like, if... I had known that, you know, like puppy biting is not a thing that takes like five days to resolve, but can for certain dogs take six weeks or more to resolve, then I would have not felt so frustrated that it didn't go away in two weeks time. Or um, I don't know if I had had better expectations or better knowledge, maybe that's not even expectation, but of socialization and then i would have done that differently but you know i didn't so um again going off track here completely but that's okay and i'm, I'm, I'm frustration okay so i think my biggest frustration sometimes is what I said earlier, like, what now? What next? Like, why is there always something new? Like, when when I've solved something, why is there something new coming again? That's sometimes a frustration. But I have sort of learned more to look at that as, like I said, like, as a puzzle. Like, oh, my gosh, okay, it's a new puzzle. Let's go and solve this. And um, I think I also... I can look at it that way much more because like Rusty's bigger and he's so um, bonded with me which at the beginning I think I really had to sort of earn his trust and I think as cattle dogs are pretty um, like have a mind of their own so he was really it sort of feels like that sometimes that he was deciding whether I was cool enough you know to be uh, a <laughs> person and I very much am and that just already makes everything like less frustrating because it's just yeah fun you know like it's really stuff that you can work at and he's so okay now we're actually maybe already coming to celebration like he's so funny and he's so good at communicating um stuff and that just makes me smile like whenever he shows um like who he is and what he wants in such a cool way it just makes me laugh like just as one example like with the frisbee frisbee is completely his sport but I can't throw frisbee worth anything so it's horrible so once a week I go on a walk with a friend of mine who can throw frisbee like four times further than I can and uh, he will bring that frisbee to my friend all the time because he's like, I know he can throw and you can't. So he's going to throw my frisbee until he's done and tired. And then he will completely ignore my friend. He will walk in like a straight line to me, drop the frisbee in front of me and lie down and be like, OK, I'm good. And like those little things just make me smile like crazy. I'm like, you can, you know, like 
you can if you could talk like there would be no clearer way to tell us what you want to do uh, than this so all those little um funny things and they i guess they have nothing to do with training they just have to do with his personality if we're talking training then it's like how he can frisbee now with bikes whizzing by like i said earlier or how we get compliments from people in the street saying oh my gosh your dog listens so well i just um it's amazing what he does or how well he can walk by other dogs and not react or um and this is maybe something that's not precisely a, a rusty celebration but also celebration of my kids who also get compliments from other people that they see them walk rusty and um like you know hand him treats when they're passing a, a, another dog or reward him for good behavior and i'm like okay so it's just everything you know like the whole yeah next generation of dog people <laughs> that's also sort of know um yeah more about dog body language dog behavior yeah. and the, like the bond that they have so and i think that speaks uh, volumes yeah. too to your work with him and how you've trained him and you've trained your children to to have those kinds of interactions so i feel like you've talked about celebrating everyone else but yourself but i think there's yeah. some room for celebrating everything you've done as well no Ah, thank you. <laughs> Maybe speaking of celebrating you, speaking of celebrating you, um, how can people find you Ooh, on the internet? Good thing. Well, um, Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog, and that also has a link tree with um, links to like the show notes and all of that. Has a link to my own website, which is kaisavanoverbeek.com. So just my name with the .com behind it. And like alternatively, if you're not on Instagram and you just want to find the podcast itself, um, just Google, either Google my name and I think you will find the podcast or just Google Rough Around the Edges podcast and you will also be directed to the site. But just remember, at the Rust Catalog, I think it's the easiest. And you post some great rusty videos, I will say. Yeah, there's going to be more hopefully soon. But uh, I've been yeah, I've been slacking a little bit also with the podcast. So people, trust me, there are more episodes coming. They're in the works. <laughs> well, it it is clear that you have a lot on your plate. So thank you for sharing your and Rusty's story. Thank you for interviewing me. It's been so cool. You can find a link to the website with the show notes through either Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog or through our Facebook group with the same name as the podcast, Rough Around the Edges. If you would like to come on the show and share your story with us, then you can also contact me through either of these channels. And last but not least, if you like listening to this podcast, then maybe consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you may be listening to this podcast on because they help us get found in the listings, allowing us to reach more people and help them feel less alone. <laughs>